Hey, just jumping in briefly to ask you a small favor. If this podcast means something to you, it would mean so much to me if you'd be willing to take 30 seconds to do one or all of the following. Can you follow or subscribe to An Aromatic Life? It actually helps you because you'll never miss an episode. To do that, just go to the An Aromatic Life show page, wherever you're listening to this podcast right now, and tap the plus sign in the upper right-hand corner or click follow. It only takes a second, I promise. Then while you're there, if you love what you're hearing, I'd be so grateful if you could rate the podcast, even give it a review. It helps others find the podcast too. In fact, if you love a particular episode, share it with a friend or two. Thank you so much. Hey, welcome to An Aromatic Life. Boy, do I have an important episode for you today. I'm so glad you're here. This is a subject that doesn't get anywhere near the amount of attention that it should, and it's in the healthcare space. Specifically, I'm talking about healthcare as it relates to exposure to environmental toxins, especially those harmful airborne chemicals that come into our lungs and affect our body, including our sense of smell in so many detrimental ways. In fact, here in the U.S., we recently had a really bad train derailment in Pennsylvania that spilled all kinds of deadly chemicals into the air. But there are also many, many more longstanding environmental tragedies taking place all over the U.S., especially in underrepresented communities of color, like Cancer Alley in Louisiana. We touch on both of these in this episode. Of course, depending on where you live, I imagine you might have some awful environmental toxin stories as well. I'll share an interesting fact with you. It's estimated that anywhere from 0.5% to 5% of all smell disorders are a result of exposure to environmental toxins. That's millions of people having their sense of smell broken, if you will, simply because of corporate greed and partisan political wrangling. And I can bet you that, in fact, the number is probably much, much higher, since a lot of people don't even recognize they have a problem until it's too late. Which brings me back to this very important conversation we're going to have here today with my guests. I want you to know these three amazing people, Erica Parker, Pilkit Jan, and Chris Browse, because they came up with this incredible healthcare concept, which marries artificial intelligence with olfaction and it addresses many of these environmental concerns. I want you to feel inspired by the possibilities that this project can offer us. I mean, truly help humans create a healthier world. I'm serious. So I want you to picture this. Imagine a really beautifully designed structure standing in a public space, like maybe in the middle of a big city like New York, Tokyo, Sao Paulo, or Sydney. Or maybe it's standing in your local public park, in a hospital, or in a school. And this structure has these large tentacles that expand and contract to sense odors in the environment. These tentacles can monitor the air and capture data about all kinds of things, like disease, think about COVID, or pollution, or maybe allergens, and of course, harmful chemicals. And now imagine a smaller version of the structure that you can place in your home to help you monitor changes in your environment, to warn you about things like gas leaks or smoke or even an intruder. 
Better yet, what if it was a handheld device that can help you monitor changes in your personal scent profile, helping you detect diseases like cancer through changes in your body odor? That's what my guests today have envisioned in their groundbreaking conceptual work called the Aroma Project, which stands for Ambient Robotic Olfactory Monitoring Apparatus. The project was a finalist in the 2022 Healthcare Design Breakthrough Conceptual Design Competition. And I want you to know about it because not only is it so cool, but the potential is enormous. And I want to spread the word so that maybe someone out there will pick up some piece of the project and bring it to life. Because honestly, it could help so many people. I encourage you to go to the link in the episode notes where you can see some pictures of the different designs. They're really cool. Be sure to check them out. At any rate, let's get started. Enjoy my conversation with Erica Parker, Polkit Yan, and Chris Browse. This is An Aromatic Life, the podcast that aims to shed light on our beautiful sense of smell and increase its profile in a culture dominated by sight and sound. My name is Frau Kagalia. I'm a certified aromatherapist and smell coach who spent over 20 years in and around the fragrance industry. What I know for sure after all these years is that our sense of smell is powerful, yet is so underappreciated. There's so much we can do to harness our sense of smell to be well. So join me as I explore this mesmerizing sense from all different angles and learn what it can do for you. Enjoy the show. I want to welcome you to An Aromatic Life, Erica, Pokit, and Chris. Thanks for being here. Thank you. We're excited to be here. Yeah, thanks for having us. Thank you so much. Yeah, this conversation that we're going to have today is, for me, incredibly important given the recent events that we've had here in the U.S., um, in East Palestine, Ohio, with that um, train derailment. Uh, for some of you who might not be aware, who are listening internationally, but just, I think it was last week, um, there was a train derailment in Ohio, and five of the cars had been transporting thousands of gallons of vinyl chloride, which is a flammable carcinogenic chemical. So now there's all these environmental toxins in the air, which continue to drift towards Pittsburgh and other places. And it's, it's just a real mess. And it's just another sign of how many environmental pollutants are out there and all the things that can happen. And this work that we're going to talk about today that you, you guys did, um, this project, I can't wait to learn more about it because it's going to help situations like the one that we just saw in, in Ohio and, and lots more. So we'll talk about that. But before we do that, I do like to start my podcast by asking my guests a simple question. Um, what does the sense of smell mean to you? And I'll go around one by one. And maybe you can tell us also what you do and then follow up with what the sense of smell means to you. I'll start with Pulkit. Um. Thanks. Yeah. Um, so uh, I'm uh, outside with what I do. I'm a machine learning engineer uh, right now, and I'm at a Memorial Sloan Kettering uh, Cancer Center, um, working on the AI uh, ML team. Uh, and um, what the sense of smell means to me, uh, I guess 
if I talk about it from the perspective of uh, what I do, uh, the, sense of, the sense of smell to me means uh, it, it's a sense for us humans that our brain uses to perceive the environment. And, and because I'm always trying to figure out how machines can do uh, the same thing, uh, for me, it, it's, it's a sensor for, for my algorithms to be able to take in data from the environment and be able to process that data in, in a new way and gain more information about the environment in a new way. And, and uh, however machines can be more like us and more understand the environment like us is, is always something that I try to uh, do and try to achieve. And so uh, that's what I would say it means to me. Yeah, good. How about you, Erica? Uh, sure. Hi, everybody. I'm Erica Parker. I'm a user experience designer. Um, and I guess smell to me is probably memories. Um, if I had to define it simply, um, it's like my core memories probably from like early childhood. I don't know if you guys have ever like stepped outside of your house and like smelled like really crisp rain, but it makes me think of like second grade. Um, and it happens every single time. Um, so I have to say that like smell to me is definitely, um, you know, my most cherished memories that, you know, it takes me back to a place of nostalgia. Um, and that's what I think of first when I think of smell. I love that. That's great. How about you, Chris? Uh, yeah, sure. Hey, everybody. Uh, my name is Chris Braus. Uh, I'm also a UX and product designer. Um, which also means I'm totally going to piggyback off of Erica's experience smell thing. Cause totally, uh, I think smells for me always go right back to experiences and memories um for sure uh, i mean i even have some essential oils right next to me because they remind me of a certain place and time that mean a lot to me so i, I think uh those are those are pretty powerful and they're pretty important so uh they they do a lot but at least for me uh love a bunch of different good smells. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. Well, that's wonderful. Thank you for sharing that. Uh, all right. So let's get started with this project that you guys have um, put together. It's called Aroma, right? Can one of you go ahead and tell us what Aroma stands for and what it is exactly? We created an acronym um, for Aroma that means a roaming olfactory machine all in one. So we wanted to create a device that could do a multitude of things. Um, and again, it went through multiple iterations of naming. I, I can't even remember the first thing we called it, but uh, <laughs> yeah, we wanted to use an acronym to represent the project and the structure that we created. And then, so what is it exactly? It's like an e-nose, right? Is that what you would call it? or? <laughs> well, I was gonna say, uh, because you brought up e-nose, that's where it sort of started. Uh, because I was doing on the team that we were on, I was looking into Enos as uh, as one of the uh, new. We, we used to look at uh, emerging technologies and how they're applicable to healthcare as well as uh, to cancer research. And so I was looking at Enoses, and then uh, while I was doing that, uh, I think uh, there had been some things that I had seen online about about how environmental pollution and environmental racism uh, is, is a big issue uh, with not a very clear solution. And being in the healthcare space, we had all we had seen how um, a lot of the, uh, the, the problems that are healthcare related take a really long time 
specifically like that connect to like pollutants, they take a really long time to solve. And so we, I think we started ideating about how we could help there and how we could make that whole process faster. And, and so it grew from being just an enos to this uh, concept about um, about an apparatus that you could like place in like your houses or in cities uh, that could serve as a kind of a monitoring uh, tool for you uh, and for the government um, and 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 how it became like bigger was because Erica's also got a background in architecture and uh, if you want to talk about the competition Erica. Uh, so this project was actually, um, it came about because of a submission. So the healthcare um, design magazine sends out a competition um, called Breaking Through Every Two Years. Um, so as a part of that installment, they, you know, sent out, um, you know, a call for entries to submit, you know, anything you can think of. So if healthcare innovation opportunities have no budget, no limit, like there's no constraints that you have to worry about, what would you submit for the future of healthcare design? Um, and so we were researching, like Pulkit said, about e-noses, about machine olfaction already as a team. But then this competition came about and we decided to kind of fuse the research that we have been doing on our team with an actual like use case application. Um, and so we wanted to use the competition as kind of an outlet for exploration and creativity as well. Um, I don't think we knew it was gonna take us this far. So we literally went into a small room, um, you know, on the fourth floor in our office building and just started sketching out on the board, like, well, what kind of healthcare innovation can we come up with? And um, that's when Polkit was like, oh, well, we're looking up e-noses. Let's make an e-nose. And then I was like, well, how can I build that architecturally? So the challenge is um, based, uh, Healthcare Design Magazine is based in architecture and they challenge design firms from all over the country to submit. Um, and so part of the challenge was not only coming up with something that's creative conceptually, um, but also something that can solve a real world problem. And then at the same time be architecturally applicable. So how would you deploy this in a physical world? Um, so kind of blending those three kinds of things together, like a fusion of healthcare technology um, and design and making a kind of solution. And, and that's how, um, you know, we started in a small room and we're like, let's just submit and see what happens. And we submitted um, like a written excerpt of what we were going to propose along with a few diagrams. And for eight months, the project, you know, we kept making it through each round up until, you know, the final um, in October of last year, where we had to present our idea to, I think it was like 3000 people or something. It was like wow. a crazy, it was like, it was, I don't a know, lot. it was a lot of people that were in there <laughs> at the conference. Good. Uh, so I know it's like thinking about it gives me anxiety, but <laughs> we did it. We, we got through the whole competition and it was a great experience. Oh, that's wonderful. So that's where it kind of stands right now. Is it just still a concept, would you say? Um, as a project, it is conceptual. So it's all still in, you know, a very um, controlled innovation environment. Okay. <laughs> I yeah, guess I would yeah. say that. Um, but there are explorations with machine vision, uh, not machine vision, machine olfaction that are happening in real time um, today. Uh, that we researched and that's how, you know, 
we came up with this idea to begin with was from those studies that are currently going on. Okay. Yeah, I think if I understood the, um, Polka, when you first like explained this to me and like Erica, you'd come up with the concept, I, it, it sounds like, like there's a lot of people exploring this space. I mean, like aroma specifically, that use case and that exploration and like how that would be used in a place to be proactive rather than reactive, or I guess a mixture of both, I, that is still conceptual, but yeah, like machine olfaction is totally a real thing, you know, right? Like pe people are exploring that and trying to figure out how to make it tangible or more tangible rather, I guess, right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. It's and yeah, it's I think I think where we we uh, I think there's like a lot of like stuff on the experimental level that's done with like small devices. And what we were envisioning was more on on a broader society level, uh, where uh, we wanted to install these like big uh, monitoring devices, sort of like antennas in cities to be able to track. Um, spread of diseases because we were just coming out of the COVID uh, pandemic, right? So spread of diseases, uh, spread of harmful chemicals uh, and pollutants. And so um, we, we wanted to do more, but obviously we all got busy with our lives and then it just uh, <laughs> remained as a concept and never got beyond that, but yeah. Yeah, but I still want to talk about this concept because maybe somebody listening to this podcast, um, we'll hear about it and find it really fascinating and wants to take it to the next level. So that's why for me, I think it's a really important project. And uh, this isn't, this is an auditory medium, but uh, so I, I can't show any pictures, but there's some really wonderful pictures, which I will put on the webpage for this episode to show like some of these beautiful architectural antennas that you ha had designed to, was that you, Erica? Yes, yes. Yes. That was like the expression creating this kind of disc that can be robotic and um, expand and contract to kind of reach out into the environment. Um, so there's like a few things where we're doing a lot of product design and trying to, um, you know, blend the technology with how, you know, the object actually works, um, which is pretty interesting. So as a, you know, in an architectural world, um, there's a lot of talk about, you know, um, you know, structural integrity, there's always the environment or, you know, surrounding environment and context of your environment. Um, how can something like this fit into cities and fabrics and urban spaces? Um, and so then on the technology side with our team, we do a lot of like product heavy work where we're designing actual digital experiences um, and looking at things from that inventor lens, which I like to say, um, and actually like what, what could be the future of this product? And so this is kind of a blending of those two worlds where, um, you know, there's something physical in the environment that you can touch, that you can see that's physically reaching for these pathogens that might not be, um, you know, visible to the human eye, but and then, not. yeah. Exactly. So, I mean, there's some germs we can see. <laughs> well, that's true. And some pollution we but, can see. You're right. Yeah. yeah, yeah. But, but then, you know, the really harmful stuff that can be potentially cancerous or super, you know, harmful, um, you know, being able to actually physically see a structure reaching out to grab that information and then pull it back in to analyze and create this data, um, you know, that will potentially help solve these problems. And that was another part of the use case is that we're not you know, creating a structure that can solve environmental, you know, pollution, but more so analyze it, which was a huge part of the project was, you know, how can we create um, public data that helps 
stir change and, and create change um, rather than just, you know, we created a product and it fixes everything and it's perfect. That's not, you know, that's not like real world, um, right. how the real world works. So yeah. we wanted to do something that was a little bit more realistic and create an object that, you know, is in space, it's physical, you see it, um, people can react to it. They understand that it's collecting information. It can do something. And then the data that gets put out from that object will then inform environmental change and policies, um, you know, that govern the world we live in basically um, to help make those movements. Yeah, and to tie it back to the incident uh, in East Palestine, I think uh, one of the important things there is, like when we envisioned this, we were we envisioned this in New Orleans because that's Cancer Alley, yes. uh, and there's a lot of problems there. Uh, uh, and and uh, as you can see, right, like we have the the stuff going on in East Palestine, and uh, it'll take a quite a long time before we'll know for sure what's going there on there, what kind of chemicals people are expo exposed to. And even though we have the, we have uh, people from the scientific community going there to test the water, to test the air, the people who live there have no idea what they're exposed to right now, right? Yeah. And if, if we have something like what we envisioned here, we, they would be able to know in real time that there's this leak that the environment is not uh, safe to live here. And they would be able to get that information directly in real time, instead of having to rely on people coming there, testing and doing everything. And then uh, uh, all of that time, they're still getting exposed, right? And, and ideally, yeah. you'd also have a baseline to start with, right? If you already have the structure in place, mm -hmm. you have a baseline and then something starts to grow or become worse and worse you can measure exactly that as well. it's not yeah. only yeah. when it's happened already but kind of preventatively to say you know this is kind of where we're at now and you know make, let's make sure it doesn't get worse yeah i think Chris? actually like I, I was gonna say when uh you know because i i know i had mentioned this before <laughs> before we we started up but you know erica and pocket came up with this idea and like took it really far and it was awesome to kind of come into it and figure out, you know, what story we were going to present and how we were going to go and, and everything kind of came down to enabling action. So I think the way that you all just touched on those three different points, you know, those are, those are spot on, right? Like you have to have a baseline to know where you're starting. And then when something does happen, you can see that as at like a community level, right? So those are the two things that came up in all our conversations where, you know, you have to one notice at a community level instead of like a national or a disease level when things really start to get attention. So you can kind of, you know, figure out what to do before it becomes, whether it's uncontrollable or affects, you know, hundreds or thousands of people, hopefully you can kind of get a handle on it. And then the other aspect was even just, you know, as from an individual basis, you know, it doesn't have to be the whole city. What if it's just, you know, a, a street or a town, like one part of the town, and you can kind of pinpoint where you can take action. So again, like all about enabling action. Um, and I actually saw like, I was reading something about the train derailment. I think it was like earlier this morning or yesterday or whenever it was. And someone had actually said uh, a quote, and I'm going to butcher this and I apologize to whoever it was, but it, it was it was really impactful because, you know, they kind of said like, I can go to my house and it smelled like I can smell burning chemicals and like my eyes water, but I have not, like, I don't know what that's doing to me. Right. And and this this person who did the quote was older. I think, you know, they said they were in their 60s or something like that. And then I said, like, by the time we know what this is going to do to us, you know, I might not even be here. But what about all the kids that are here? So if you could know that as soon as possible, that would be huge. Yeah, it's it's 
please somebody take your concept and make it happen. It's just so incredible. Thank you for even coming up with it. Another thing that I read was that it's modular, right? You'd mentioned that there, there's this modularity about it. Um, can one of you talk to that a little bit more? Yeah, uh, I can take that on. And that was a part of like our initial design, um, you know, and thinking about the environment. And and um, I think as a part of our initial project planning, we wanted to imagine, you know, the structure being outdoors within the community, as, you know, Polkett mentioned, but then also um, being within a home, which is what Chris mentioned. So having it have this dual purpose um, and again, we're humans. So how can we design for, you know, human use to be yeah. the most efficient? Um, and a part of that was um, the robotic aspect to it, which is probably my favorite. Like, I think, um, you know, I personally left architecture because buildings don't move. They take forever to put up. And then once they're there, they're there <laughs> forever, which is great. Um, if you want to look back on history and understand where you came from. But the cool part about this project is that it's adaptable and that it can, you know, attach on to things that are existing or it can stand alone on its own, which is why we came up with that kind of tent like structure, which is okay. really primitive in nature. Um, if you think about like the first dwellers, how they had caves and then they evolved into like these kind of tent structures. Um, and so having something that's familiar to people, um, you know, naturally. So like if we put up the structure in the middle of the park, would you want to go sit under it? Would you want to go be around it? So how does it interact with private and public space, which was really interesting as like a form of public art. Um, but then also in terms of like function, if you wanted to attach it into a hospital or a school, like how would it actually manifest in those kinds of environments and what would it look like? Um, and that's when we came up with these like tentacles that can kind of reach out and collect data, but then they can also wrap around existing structures and be in a private space with you and attach to your home. Um, and I think one of the things I realized maybe towards the end of the project was that, you know, in my design experience in the past, I worked a lot with mechanical engineers who would just be, you know, putting ductwork in the ceiling. You try to like shove in all the electrical and you kind of pack it behind all this sheetrock and you hide everything. And so with this project, it kind of reversed that. I don't know if you've seen like the Pompidou Center in France, um, you know, those kinds of plays on inverting a building or a structure and really celebrating the mechanical aspects of a project. Um, it, it really, I was inspired by that for the design. So you're in your house and you have all these kind of like tentacle-like structures that add, you know, an aesthetic to your environment that's pleasing, but also functional. Um, and that was kind of like the dream and environment. And I'll send you some pictures um, of how we envisioned the private space as well. Yeah, I'll add a little bit to that. One of the reasons that uh, we also wanted to explore the indoor, indoor scene is uh, there's this, uh, people don't, because most people don't have this, they don't think about it. But if you have a, a disability uh, of smelling things, yes. you kind of need a visual medium. Like if you have a gas leak in your house, you have yes. no way of knowing. So you need a visual medium to be able to do that. Something that can smell it for you and, and show it to you, right? And and I think we we talked about how we can enable some of those things uh, for people as well, uh, especially people who have, uh, who are not able to smell themselves. Um, there's a yeah. whole bunch of people yeah. listening to this podcast right now who, who don't <laughs> have the ability to smell, who are applauding you at the moment for just even thinking of that. And I, they're really looking for something in their home 
aside from another human being who has to be there because a lot of people live on their own. And I think a lot about a lot of older people who have a very poor sense of smell um, because it does start to diminish as you get older and who could really use kind of this, I'm going to call it an e-nose, but whatever it is, you know, just something, an artificial <laughs> device that can help them gauge if there's gas, if there's smoke. Uh, I can tell you the anosmia community would also love to have something where they can detect if they have really bad body odor, you know, just down to personal hygiene because yeah. they can't smell yeah. any of we, that. I mean, we, we thought about allergens as well. If there's yes. like allergens mm -hmm. present in your environment, how can we? Huge. That's a huge. Yeah. The, uh, I, I was going to say, I think one of the things that came out of the, the individualized aspect or like the at-home aspect rather than the community one was, was the idea of... I, I don't remember, I don't know if this is actually a term, but if it was Eric or Polkett who said scent profiles, and I was like, oh, that's, yeah, it's, I mean, I, I know that's pretty straightforward, but it sounds catchy. Um, but so like of the people in the house, right? Like you could, you could have a scent profile and, and as not only the environment changes, it can pick up, you know, and detect allergens or pollutants or anything like that. But, you know, I mean, if that means that you have a disease that maybe you can't smell, you don't notice, but yes. you're putting off some kind of, you know, particles or anything like that. I know in, in our, our work a lot, we talk about and think about like biomimicry and thinking about like the animal kingdom. And there's there's all kinds of stories about like dogs in particular smelling disease, you know, whether it's in people's breath or like their scent profile changes. And it's, uh, you know, that that could be really cool too. Um, so no, 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 yeah. that's a huge point. Cause I read that in your, in, in the work that you sent me that it was like it was some diagram that showed all the different um, ways you kind of, did your research on all of nature and how how different animals and beings how they all smell right Erica's nodding her head so do you want to tell me about that oh yeah for sure I think as a part of like our original precedent studies we were trying to figure out okay what kind of features could this um you know structure actually have um what would those features do and how would they be you know applicable to the environment and that's exactly what we did what Chris said is we looked at dogs and how they can detect you know different types of cancer um, we took a look at ants and how they have these individual scent profiles that help them recognize each other. Um, and at one point we were like, okay, well, we can have the profile of a person, but actually the profile of a city or a profile of a region. Um, and it can expand and grow in that way, which is really helpful for researchers um, who are connecting patterns. Um, we looked at, um, you know, elephants for, you know, their ability to, um, I think it was like smell long range, or maybe that was bears. We looked at a lot of animals, including like <laughs> being able to smell like small, fine, like small amounts of blood in a, in a vast amount of water and for miles away. Um, and then we looked at fungus too, for like detecting patterns and changes, um, which everybody is studying right now because fungus is like really incredible, um, you know, in terms of biomimicry and all of that. Um, so yeah, we looked at, we did a lot of research on the animal kingdom and, that was kind of our inspiration and drive behind determining what features the project would have um, and how it would be applied. So, yeah. Yeah, and and um, another thing to add for the for the uh, personal concept that we had was the idea of uh, uh, being able to monitor your scent profile, as uh, as Chris put it, uh, and and be able to detect if uh, you have uh, a disease because there's been research about like how you can. Uh, detect cancer much earlier using your scent and how dogs are able to do that and how dogs are able to detect your emotions using your smell and how we could do that using our device and uh, it was really interesting because we did this last year 
And this year at the Consumer Expo, uh, the biggest uh, thing, one of the biggest things was what uh, was uh, people with the, all these devices uh, of and using your P uh, uh, to collect uh, data and detect diseases uh, early in your uh, uh, house. And I was like, that was what we were thinking about. And that's really awesome that people are actually building some of these things out. Yeah, it's almost like you're, the scent profile that you keep mentioning, it's again, it's that baseline, right? Let's start with today, just scan <laughs> scan yourself, and then that's your baseline. And then anything when anything changes, that would be so amazing just through the odor. Um, we, we even went so far as, and this didn't make it to the final thing, but we, we even went so far as, uh, what if your car could unlock uh, when it smells you around? <laughs> uh, ah. you know? <laughs> Sure. I mean, sky's the no, limit, kidding. right? <laughs> oh, I was just going to say, I mean, yeah, right? Like there's there's no reason why, why it can't unlock and recognize you, right? I mean, once we figure it out, that's how my dog, who I'm, I'm hoping you guys haven't heard in the background up to this point, uh, but uh, I know that's I know that's how he recognizes my wife and I when we walk in the door. He's uh, that's tentative until he realizes it's us, so. Yeah. And uh, you could actually recognize people around the corner, you know, because you can't see everything all the time, but it can be, yeah. I think it could even help for, you know, just protection, things like that. I mean, sometimes you can, if you have those tentacles, as I'm going to call them, um, around the corner, then and detect, it could be a warning sign for intruders or, you know, something not right <laughs> in your environment yeah. in any case. Okay. Very cool listening to the conversation it's so funny how this you know smell isn't an integral part of like our everyday a lot of we rely on like our audio visual um and it would be really interesting to have you know any kind of smell whether it's like okay maybe i wake up in the morning and go in front of this machine and it smells me and takes that data and applies it somewhere else um how it would be interesting and i think the reason why we made it so far in the competition is because um, I don't think even architects have taken this kind of conceptual thinking into consideration yet, um, which is pretty interesting. A lot of our other competitors, um, you know, we're still doing traditional hospital, you know, care delivery models or, um, you know, moving furniture, which was a really cool idea. Um, but then we were like, okay, well, how can we, you know, utilize this, um, I guess I don't want to say underrepresented. Uh, sensory. It is underrepresented. Please <laughs> yeah, say under it because it's true. Okay. That's why I have this podcast because okay, it's underrepresented. Great. Yeah, it's like taking this underrepresented sensory experience and turning it into something that can really help you know folks out. Um, and one of the things that we we did include in the video, but I um, would definitely want to explore more was actually like we made like a yurt structure for you can you can like walk underneath it. It can reach out and grab stuff but it actually has like an actual shape that mimics what people are doing with machine olfaction, like how people are, um, I think we, we did bacteria like pathogens and then DNA. So like allergy, sorry, allergens and then pathogens. That was like kind of our take on it and how you analyze those things. Um, so I'm talking really, really micro now and like how the structure, so it's really beautiful, looks big, but if you actually look inside the tubes that we designed and I'll send those pictures as well, um, there's a way that this structure is actually analyzing that data. Um, and the first part was for like allergens um, using UV light rays to analyze small particles as they come through the tubes. And then um, when we were doing research on how like 
DNA particles are tested, it's done through a vacuum. So they use like water and um, this kind of like tornado swirl motion to kind of separate. Um, okay, I don't know the science of it. I'm not like a laboratory scientist, but in the research that we read, it was all about, you know, mixing water with the bacteria, spinning it to get the, you know, controlled problem and mm -hmm. separating it out to find like, okay, there's, this is how you, you know, examine human DNA in a scientific way. And so that's kind of the inspiration behind the twist that you see on, um, you know, the structure as well. So there's, there's some like method behind the madness. We didn't just like come up with a swirl. It was actually like influenced by um, the research that's currently going on for how you take in, you know, allergens and pathogens in the air versus like understanding how to dissect and, and test for human DNA. So like COVID, for example, gets tested differently than like pollen. Um, and that's like, we, we created the, the design around those kinds of, you know, testing and research that we did beforehand, um, as well as like, okay, how can I architecturally express this and make it interesting for people to engage with? But um, as like a scientific background of, of the project, there's, you know, a means to the, to the method behind why we chose the shape and, and how it works on the inside. So I'll send you some photos of that as well. I say the, the other thing too, I don't know why Erica mentioning that made me think of this aspect, but I don't know if we really touched on it before was um, like the aspect of kind of contact tracing and how this could even help with that. So I know we kind of mentioned COVID before and like different diseases being picked up, but you know, short of having to do an actual COVID test or, or to figure out if a disease is, is spreading by going to your doctor or doing something like that. Like if the SEM profile could actually include kind of that health aspect. Um, and I'm just sitting here, like my, my watch is buzzing and you know, this this thing knows all sorts of things about my yeah. my health and my heart rate and it builds a profile, but it doesn't actually know what my, I mean, I don't, I don't think it knows what my scent profile is. And <laughs> Somebody um, might know, even if you yeah, don't know. But <laughs> yeah, some, someone that, that's close enough in proximity to me might know what I smell like at any given time. But like, you know, if that can influence your, um, medical profile or anything yes. like that, that would be one, a good thing to know for yourself, like we were saying before of, of early disease prevention and, and treatment, but then also too, for, for something like COVID or a larger disease that can spread, it's, it's hopefully figuring that out a little bit sooner, which could be a really cool use case for this too. So cool. Um, is it Pulkit? Did you, are you the one that was researching the cancer alley down mm -hmm. in Louisiana? Can you tell yeah. us a little bit more about that? Um, so the idea behind Cancer Alley came from uh, my fiance. Uh, she is from Louisiana, and uh, and everyone in her family, unfortunately, uh, is really interesting because she is there for a wedding right now, mm -hmm. and she was calling me and she was really sad about it because uh, everyone in her family sort of dies from from cancer, eventually, and it's really because that whole alley is like that where the water is polluted, the air is polluted, and there's been uh, a lot of, it's also the uh, alley, like a lot of communities that lie in that alley are uh, underrepresented communities, uh, communities of color. And it's, it's they, they, and unless you get like a lot of funding, the way the system works right now is, uh, unless you get a lot of funding, you cannot really, ask like a, a big scientific study to be done and figure out how we can like prevent and solve some of these problems. And so I had like a personal connection to Cancer Alley and uh, 
through her and then I wanted to like understand if there are ways to like solve something like this. And so that's where like the idea came into being where I thought, okay, maybe it'll be a good idea if we could have something that can uh, that can be a community detection for these uh, chemicals and pathogens that are causing this. And also wh when you have that, like you said, you have a baseline, right? And so you can see the cases in like cancer, for example, rising while also the, the baseline changing. And so you can correlate those and figure out what might be leading to this. And maybe that leads to people taking action earlier and uh, uh, helping some of these communities earlier. Uh, because by the time they help it, people already have cancer. People are already dying, you know? Yeah. So it's, it's, it's um, that's where like the idea came to me uh, and then uh, I was really adamant about like including that and mm -hmm. then uh, Erica was so kind to like draw that really beautiful um, uh, figure for for that uh, whole idea. It's it's so important I mean it's just crazy how the fact that it's called Cancer Alley is just breaks, yeah. my, breaks my heart it's just so sad. <laughs> I also was curious about hospitals. Is what kind of ideas did you have in the area of hospitals? Because you said in healthcare, is it not so much hospitals, but more just your own health as it relates to an environment? Or were you thinking hospitals at all, or not really? We we were actually, yeah. Um, we uh, thought of uh, installing this in like a laboratory environment to detect leaks. Uh, uh, and uh, that was definitely on the plate. I don't know if it made it to the final cut, but uh, because we had all these ideas going in all these different directions, we really had to like uh, narrow down some of the ideas for the final presentation. But yeah, we did think about the laboratory environment. We uh, thought about how uh, we could detect if there's like uh, something spreading in the hospital and we could detect that earlier. Uh, and especially like during COVID, there was a lot of research done for like how, uh, you know, the airflow in the hospital, uh, changing that can like uh, uh, change uh, the spread of infection. And if we could detect that uh, spread of infection earlier, we could uh, help with uh, those decisions, right? And so, uh, yeah, we, we had a little bit of conversation around like infection, early infection and uh, leak detection. Uh, for these, but we didn't really go into much detail. Okay. What are the next steps, would you say? I mean, where is it going to go from here? How can we make this come to life? Or are there any next steps? Is it just something that's available for people to reach out and, and contact you guys? Or what, what's happening now? Um, I do know that we are eligible to resubmit it for, um, you know, the competition again and like expand on it. Um, I think where it is now is, you know, getting out into more spaces like this with you and thank you again for having us here, but, you know, having opportunities to share, um, you know, innovation challenges and, and th our thoughts on innovation and how it can be applied to healthcare. Um, you know, I do a lot of work with startups as well. And, um, this is definitely a challenge where it might not manifest as a giant structure because that costs a lot of money, but as Pulkit mentioned earlier, there are like smaller devices that are being, you know, implanted in homes, um, and detecting the kinds of, uh, you know, changes in the environment on a smaller level. So I think where it could go, I can tell you like a thousand things. Um, okay. <laughs> um, I mean, it could, you know, 
form a startup or it could, you know, get taken on by an institution. Yeah, I mean, it can it can take on many different, um, you know, hats, I guess you could say it can definitely walk a lot of different places. I think for now, definitely sharing the project as a first step and getting people aware of, you know, what's happening in the environment, especially now um, and for the past like couple of years, actually, like how the environment's changing. And I think the earth is kind of telling all of us, hey, you know, something needs to change or else, you know, things are going to keep getting worse. I don't know if you guys saw in Venice, uh, Italy, all the yeah. are drained. Um, so the earth is definitely telling us, oh yeah, if you go online, you'll see like the, the river beds in Italy are just kind of like gone. It's just mud. And like the, uh, the canoes that are famous for, you know, taking people back and forth are just like sitting on the ground. Um, so I think the earth is definitely trying to warn us and tell us, Hey, you know, pay attention and be prepared for all these environmental, you know, ups and downs. Um, and I think starting the conversation can make a huge difference, but then also maybe on a smaller level, producing a product that can help with those incremental changes that, um, you know, create a better environment for all of us would be a really interesting place to start. Um, yeah, that's just my take. <laughs> yeah, I was good. I was just, the only thing I guess I'll, I'll really add to that because I think you summarized that really well is like, conceptually right like there's uh, there's a lot of different directions that this could go like erica said but like i think the cool thing is right like technology gets better exponentially every year and aside from just the accuracy standpoint of of how you could identify different pathogens and pollutants and stuff like that you know like it'd be great if it can you know if if that can exist and happen but as it gets more accurate and as you could get more granular and identify things for people in places at like a smaller scale like that's really cool. Um, and I guess, yeah, really just, it, it could go so many different directions, but excited, it's exciting to think that um, in the not too distant future, you know, maybe there is a thing in your pocket that you, you know, breathe into or it just picks up on what you are mounted on your wall or something like that. That could be really interesting. The other thing I wanted to ask you is, I was thinking about you guys being in the competition. Were you the only ones that came up with something that related to a sense of smell? Yep. Nodding, yes. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> fascinating isn't it i think it? out of all 50 submissions we are the only ones because they showcased the semi-finalist and then um you know i i don't think anyone took on the challenge of smell um a lot of folks i mean everyone's uh delivery model was sort of similar in that like if you do something that's uh preventative um or early detection it helps with um you know the healthcare model overall mm -hmm. um but then how do you do that? And that's kind of where it gets more granular and challenging um, as a design competition um, and more interesting too. Yeah. A lot of drones. <laughs> a lot of drones. <laughs> I, I just want to thank you all for sharing this project uh, with me here and with the listeners. I want to thank you for focusing on the sense of smell and I really, really hope someone hears this, feels inspired, wants to pick up some aspect of it. Um, we'll put as much information as you'll give me on the webpage as well, so people can read more and, and see what you know and what you guys have done. And I wish you nothing but the best of luck with the Aroma Project, and may it go far and wide and and help a lot of people. Yeah, thank you so much for having us. Thank again. you. Yeah, thank you very much.
thank you for joining me on An Aromatic Life. If you're interested in learning more about your sense of smell from all different perspectives, subscribe to the podcast and invite your friends too. And it would be really helpful if you could rate the podcast so it helps others find it too. I also invite you to check out my website, falkaromatherapy.com, where you'll find information about workshops, courses, and other programs I offer. And make sure you grab my free audio training, How to Smell to Be Well, which you can download from my website. Until next time, remember to smell everything and have a wonderful day.